and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 50. I'm Nick Dixon here with PayWEF shill Toby Young. And coming up, the Conservatives get a new music star, West Yorkshire police go full tyranny, and Germany try to ban a political party to preserve democracy. How interesting. Plus lots more, and of course, peak woke. But Toby, I thought we had to start with the obvious elephant in the room for all the fans of London Calling. You've ended London Calling, and some people are blaming me on the internet already. I assure you I had nothing to do with it. I don't. I don't want to be the uh, the hated stepdad in Mummy and Daddy's breakup. But uh, any comments and reflections on London calling coming to an end? Oh, it's funny. You should say you should cast yourself as the hated stepdad, um, because someone said to me, "Is um, Nick the Camilla in this relationship?" Meaning Camilla Parker Bowles, obviously. Um, yeah, and what I say to that a- is, uh, kings can't be queens. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess people would just naturally cast you as you and James as the women in this relationship, and me as the alpha male. Um, I, think, but, I thought you um, were the woman and James was daddy. I always thought that was the arrangement. No, I think it was like, well, the fact that we couldn't agree uh, on those roles and how to assign them um, is one of the reasons I think we we ended the podcast. Um, yeah, no, I, we've been doing it for eight years, and. Um, uh, we'd had a great time. We've had a great time doing it. Um, but I think it had reached the end of its natural life. Um, James and I had each kind of retreated into entrenched positions um, uh, on the kind of the big issue of our time, which is is the fact that everything's going to hell in a handbasket due to the usual incompetence, folly, vanity, is it just the normal story of human history, um, or is it, uh, in James's view, um, all happening at the instigation of uh, an evil cabal of powerful billionaires and members of ancient families dating back to pharaonic times? And um, we just ended up having the same argument, sort of around that theme every week um and um i think it was beginning to try our listeners patience neither of us was going to convince the other um in fact you know certainly in james's cases possibly in mine too we were just becoming you know more entrenched and the discussion was coming more polarized i mean i I sort of in some ways regretted um the fact that we've called a halt to it at least in its present form we're going to continue to do culture corner um uh, we're going to just make it about culture um when we come back, um, we're doing it as a monthly show in October. Um, but I, I regret it in a way, cu- cu- sort of ending the ongoing debate because um, one of the great things about London Calling, I think, is that we were we were able to disagree profoundly about one of the biggest issues of our time, which lots of people disagree about, and it's um, uh, causing um, tension conflict quarrels within friendship groups even amongst couples and one of the great things about our podcast is that we were able to disagree about it but not fall out so we were kind of you know like couples therapists modeling how to disagree agreeably about something really profound and significant um so it felt you know sad in a way to conclude that there wasn't much point in continuing to have that particular conversation because we were never going to reach any kind of accommodation. Um, and it, and I think we both felt that if it continued, we would likely fall out um, and we didn't want to do that. Um, uh, but I suppose that does send a message to the people who are on the point of falling out but have been clinging on to the hope that they can disagree agreeably 
by listening to London Calling, may now think, crikey, what are we going to do? Are we going to have to stop talking about it to kind of preserve our relationship? Anyway, that's what James and I have agreed to do, essentially, to stop talking about that conspiracy versus cock-up, Team James versus Team Toby subject. Um, Because if we continue to talk about it, we're worried that we might end up just irrevocably damaging our relationship. I can talk about that stuff with you more easily, I think. Mm. Um, Partly because you're not nearly as far down the rabbit hole as James, but partly because you're you're less evangelical about it. It's kind of less all-consuming for you than it is for James. You can still, you know, you still approach it with a kind of slightly ironic, humorous kind of sensibility. It's not the most important thing in life. Um, so um, hopefully we can continue to have that debate on this podcast. And I guess I should say welcome to any refugees from London Calling um, who've found their way here for the first time. Hopefully, um you know, Nick and I can take on the couples therapy role and model how to um, have a good humoured discussion about this um, very divisive um, issue. Okay, very interesting. Well, yeah, I'd hate you to fall out with James. The the layman might be forgiven for thinking you've been falling out every week on the podcast <laughs> for months, but that wasn't falling out. That was, uh, that's what you mean, irrevocably in, in a more serious way. Um, in, I couldn't believe you've been doing it eight years. I mean, quite amazing the weekly skeptic has has got actually bigger than london calling in in eight months but don't wonder what the key variable is there but um <laughs> but the only thing i don't like toby is that you, you took away my closure by saying that because not that i wanted london calling to finish i was a big fan and obviously i'm a fan of you and james just had james on my other podcast the current thing just to make it even more confusing but i we, we were robbed of the closure by you saying oh we'll come back and do bits and pieces so i was sort of slightly like that, that I thought it was going to be the end of it. Be like, oh, we're coming back, and not that you shouldn't do it, but it just it just robbed me of that closure. Um, but it is good that you're you're going to still try and do that. Um, yeah, on your other point, yeah, I did want to challenge James on that. One thing he said on the podcast was that you can't talk to normies. This proves that you can't talk to normies, and there's no possible. way. And I did think that actually I am able to talk to normies. Now some people would just would just say I'm a normie, which I think would be a heck of a stretch. Because I'm thinking, if you look at the actual issues. I think 9-11 was dodgy, right, obviously. I certainly think the 2020 election was dodgy. Obviously, JFK. I'm dinosaur questioning. And in, in 2016, I had a podcast with Francis, which uh, Constantine was very influenced by, um, which had, <laughs> well, I had to say, it took the same, you know, used the same co-host and producer and, uh, and topics. But anyway, the point is, I was saying Michelle Obama was a man then in 2016-17 on my podcast. So... You ca- so my point there is the reason I'm able to be a bit more agreeable than James, one is just I'd probably have a more agreeable personality profile, high in agreeableness. And I'm actually moderate in agreeableness. People think I'm not, but I'm actually sort of medium in agreeableness. Then the other thing is, if you've been on a steady diet of red pills for many, many years, as I have, you can just be a bit more relaxed about it. And the analogy I was thinking of was in the Matrix, you take the, he takes the red pill and he ends up in the desert of the real and James is like Neo because he's, not that he's the one, but he's there in the desert of the real and he's all like, whoa, what's, oh, what, I know Kung Fu or what's that? And, you know, and he's all freaked out. Whereas I'm like the other ones, I, I'd hate to be like Cypher because he's a baddie saying like, I just see blonde brunette. But even Mouse has made that, that uh, you know, AI of the sort of girl in the red dress. And they have a gallows humor about the gruel they're eating and the matrix, you know what I mean? Because they've been in it so long. That's how I see myself, a gallows humor yeah. about it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's partly that, you know, you, you have a naturally kind of more humorous outlook on life. Um, and yeah, I think insofar as when I observe the same phenomena, 
um, but come up with a different explanation for them. I have a kind of gallows humour about it too, I think. Um, it doesn't depress me um, to see everything going wrong and Western civilization collapsing in the way it does James. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, I'm not as depressed about it as he is, but maybe he's just got a more depressive personality and maybe it's because he sees evil forces at work and, you know, the kind of conspiracy theorists are fueled by this kind of fatalism, I think, this this feeling that, you know, there are these supervillains, these powerful hidden forces that they can't do anything about. Um, and maybe it's a way of kind of making themselves feel better about their own sense of helplessness. You know, they, if they exaggerate, it's my theory, they exaggerate how powerful and numerous the forces are arranged against them, then of course they can't do anything about it. So shouldn't feel bad about that. Whereas I'm, you know, much more optimistic, positive. I do think that there are some things we can do something about. And I've been trying to do something about various things for the past 15, 20 years. Um, so maybe that's why I'm generally more of a optimistic sunny disposition than james Mm. um but um i think um maybe another reason that that you're um you know less torn up about it all is because you're not as you know late to the party as him you're not a convert to all this stuff in the way that he is i mean he will acknowledge i think that he's only really kind of taken the red pill and gone down the rabbit hole um in the past two or three years i think the pandemic was the big trigger the lockdown he claimed on my podcast the u.s election was the, the really big one eh, i don't maybe i'd have to go back and listen to some of our that was the podcasts. beginning he said okay maybe that was the beginning um but um when people ask me you know what's happened to james um uh has he gone mad my defense of james is no he he hasn't gone mad it's kind of the way to think about it is that he's more like someone you've known all your life and um, used to be a bit of a hedonist, a bit of a bohemian um, and, you know, um, uh, uh, was kind of firmly in the kind of secular, if not atheist camp, who's had a late life conversion to full blooded evangelical Christianity. Um, And if you haven't taken that leap yourself, if you're not a Christian, it can strike you as, you know, my God, what's happened to this person? They've gone slightly mad. But I don't think, you know, you would typically describe someone who had a late life conversion to evangelical Christianity as having gone mad. Um, I think it's just he's kind of got religion in some odd way. Um, maybe maybe, maybe Christianity isn't the right, right metaphor, but he has actually, you know, become a Christian as well. So perhaps it is. Uh, but that, that's how it feels to me, that that he's like someone who's who's had a late life conversion to um, an all-consuming religion, which gives him this kind of evangelical zealotry, um, which he didn't have before. Mm. Well, I certainly don't want to attack or misrepresent James. And I think it's great that he's converted to Christianity. Yeah, whether converting to red pill in the same way is, is as healthy, I don't know. But yeah, he said the, the white pill of Christianity has kind of cured his blackpilling on on conspiracy. So that's good. But yeah, I do agree with your point. I feel like Bain compared to Jet, I feel like uh, saying to him, uh, you, you merely adopted the red pill. I was bored in it. I, I molded by it. You remember in Batman, I just feel like it, he's talking about the dark, but in, in terms of the red pill, I've lived it my whole life because I've always had this bleak outlook. And, and my, my humor doesn't come from an optimistic place like yours. I, I am incredibly depressed actually about all this, but I've just always ha- had a bleak humor about things 
I'm the sort of I'm the one person not crying at the funeral, but I'm incredibly anxious about virtually everything else that happened. You know, I'm sort of like big things. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Life's awful anyway. You know, so a, a strange kind of yeah. I don't know, a lot of comedians are like that. I think they have a sort of bleak but humorous look uh, outlook. But it, but we are different in that Toby. You and you're optimistic and you're more optimistic and you're trying to do something about it, which is a key difference, I think perhaps between me and you, but I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to say it's key, key difference between you and James, but it's certainly yeah. a key part of, it's something to be admired in you that you actually are trying to do something about it. And it's why people shouldn't really attack you. Although we disagree on everything. I mean, I'm sure any problems we have will only be about whether you try and hold back my Steve Jobs, like vision for the podcast rather than any topics. I can't believe I'd ever fall out on topics because I don't really assume people should agree with me. I just think, you know, I've got a lot of views and they change and, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, how do I know you're wrong? It is, I can see why people are frustrated when you say, when you're not, you think that pro- immigration has some positives or something or <laughs> some of your normie takes or whatever. So I'm a bit more reactionary than Jay's rather than conspiracy. My red pilling is much more about let's have zero immigration and, you know, let's rethink women voting. His is more about uh, whether Paul McCartney's real. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think your kind of conservatism is rooted in, for want of a better phrase, a kind of ethno-nationalism, a sense of place and belonging. How dare you? Um, that sounds awful. Uh, which probably comes from your, you know, Cumbrian upbringing. Um, and uh, whereas James's is more kind of international uh, in outlook, um, you know, he sees himself as waging this kind of spiritual war. Um, uh, 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 you know, um, but he think he he thinks he very much thinks globally. In that respect, he's more of a kind of, um, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 an globalist rather than <laughs> rather than rather than a somewhere person, to use David Goodhart's distinction. OK, yeah. well, you've essentially called me a Nazi and James a globalist. That's what I think you just did. Um, no, but you're right. He does have a, he does. Look, he does have a look at it in a large scope. And um, well, oh, well, it's I mean, I hope you can still get on with James and hopefully James comes back on my podcast one day. I've offered to have you on the podcast, but you said it'd be kind of weird. I do see what you mean. Um, anything further on that, Toby? I mean, let's hope viewers, come, listeners come over. Let's hope they don't blame and attack me because it's not my fault. I certainly didn't have anything to do with it. And um, I'm not Camilla. And uh, you asked me to do this podcast. And we didn't even think this podcast was going to be in this format. It was meant to be just me interviewing people. So it was not, there was no plot. They'll see a That's conspiracy right. there yeah. next. Yeah. But um, <laughs> nothing to do with me, Gov. But um, anything else you want to add on that, Toby? I mean, it's a sad no. thing. Do you feel sad about it? I know you're not really a big emotions guy. I feel. I suppose I feel a little bit sad about it, um, uh, but um, you know, I think these things do have a natural life, um, and I think we were beginning to outstay our welcome. It felt like it needed to be put out of its misery. Okay. Well, yeah, they all have to end at some point. The Twitter comments I've seen are a mixture of people, much as you predicted, saying about time, and other people saying, "Oh, why are you stopping, guys? What are you doing? We like, we love it." You know. So, yeah, can't please everyone. All right, so that's London calling. RIP, hopefully back in some sort of form. Let's move on then and do our first non-Toby-related story, which is uh, the phenomenon of Oliver Anthony, the brilliant new country singer. Well, he's not new, but he's just been discovered by everyone. He went viral suddenly, and it was mainly conservative influencers that made him go viral. He had this brilliant song, Rich Men North of Richmond, which seems to refer to Washington, D.C. Quick Google search will show you it's about a two-hour drive. Some people have missed this. There was an idiotic tweet from someone who did a long tweet about how this guy's against rich men and yet they're the ones that pay taxes for his goods and services and all this sort of thing. It's like, no, he's, he's talking about Washington, D.C. He's talking about centralized control in Washington. He talks about 
He, he talks about them wanting total control. He talks about, I wish politicians would look out for miners instead of miners on an island somewhere, a reference to Epstein, clearly. He talks quite controversially. He says, um, he says, we've got folks on the street, ain't got nothing to eat. And the obese milking welfare, God, if you're five foot three and 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. I'm just doing this from memory, but that is correct. So, and, and Rolling Stone called that a Reagan era talking point. So I wrote this seminal piece about this for the Daily Skeptic, which you can check out now. And I say seminal because I was particularly proud of it. It wasn't my funniest or most stylish piece, but it, it combined a music review that the Rolling Stone completely failed to do with a culture war piece. And I kind of covered both because I'm a, I'm a musician, uh, amateur musician. So I actually covered both. So the, what Rolling Stone did, though, Toby, they were so threatened by the political uprising that this represented to them. The whole article was trying to just tamp that down and say, oh, it's Reagan-era talking points. They didn't talk about the music. They didn't, barely, anyway. They didn't talk about how brilliant the song was. And it actually is a really good song. Whereas Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town was very fun to stick it to the libs. It was actually kind of a highly, highly produced corporate country sound. Whereas this is the real deal. I said Towns Van Zandt, Hank Williams. Some people will say Johnny Cash. There's all kind of references you can make. It's that dark tradition of country where it's one man and a guitar telling it like it is. And everyone seems very threatened by this. And just to conclude, sorry for this rant, Toby. He did a gig finally, and it was 25 acres of, of parking space and, and was filled by people coming to see him. He said, last time I played it, it was like 20 people. And he opened the gig by reading out a psalm. How incredibly based is that? So this guy is an absolute legend. I think he deserves all his success. Some people have tried to criticize it, say, oh, conservatives are co-opting it, or it's all a psyop, or don't believe the hype, or all kinds of um, criticisms of it. But I think it's a great thing. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a good song. Um, and he seems like the real deal. It definitely had an authenticity that In a Small Town doesn't have. Um, and, you know, In a Small Town seemed machine tool to attract conservatives um and there was kind of it, it you know it thought that was that was who it was pitched to that was the demographic it was aimed at um whereas this felt more innocent less premeditated it was just him expressing his frustration with the current state of america and not actually pitching it left or right or thinking of it as um something that will become a kind of protest song taken up by the right or people who support Trump uh, and in in some ways that 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 better suited it for becoming a kind of rallying cry um a song taken up because it wasn't you know that it felt like a kind of voluntary act you discovered it and you thought aha that speaks to me without feeling you were being invited to discover it and invited to conclude that it was speaking for you so yeah i think it was um i'm not surprised it's um it's it's gone viral um uh, and um, uh, one complaint I saw, which I don't know if it was the same tweet you're referring to, but it was um, Nathan Kofnus, who was a grad student at um, Oxford, I think could be Cambridge. No, I think it's Oxford. Um, and um, he's, you know, he's been threatened with cancellation before. And um, we, I know him very slightly. Um, but his point was that, um, well, the way the song is pitched, it's almost as though it could have been sung in the, you know, during the depression. So he's 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 a an off grid, poor white farmer seeming to speak for, you know, the dispossessed, the forgotten people, um, struggling to make ends meet. Um, and he pointed out that um, actually 
you know, um, America is one of the richest countries in the world. And if you compare GDP per capita in Richmond, where presumably um, uh, Anthony Oliver is from, um, it's I think it's I've just I looked it up. It's fifty four thousand six hundred and eleven dollars compared to GDP per capita in the UK, which is forty six thousand five hundred and ten dollars. So the residents of Richmond, for all their problems, um, are better off on average than than the average resident of the UK. Um, so Kofnes's point is, well, you know, what are you protesting about? You know, um, do you really need, is America really in such a parlous state? The economy's growing, inflation's lower than it is here, the cost of living's better, um, yeah, lower than it is here. Um, what are you bellyaching about? You know, why are you pretending, you know, that, that, that things are so tough when actually you never have it so good? Mm, I saw that. Yeah, that is the one I was talking about, uh, Nathan Kofnis. Yes, he said the main point of Conservative's new favourite song is that rich men have devalued and taxed the dollar. Even he gets it immediately wrong, as I said, because it's rich men north yeah. of Richmond, which is simply a, a poetic way of, and a, a way that scans uh, of saying Washington, D.C. It's not about enterprising people creating wealth in the American spirit, which I'm sure Oliver Anthony will be fine with, but it's about the corrupt state. So he's wrong immediately. But OK, he says, yeah, in America, most taxes are paid by the rich. Blah, blah. It's a perfectly reasonable. It's, it's the usual kind of point. Who's that guy? The optimistic guy with the big hair, Stephen. What's it called? He always says these kind of things. What's he called? The, the famous academic guy who, who's, who's always Stephen Pinker. Yeah, he always talks about that kind of thing. But what other people have observed is at the same time that you can look at stats and you can look at broad sort of raise, rises in wealth due to technology and stuff. You can also have to acknowledge that culture is falling apart at the same time. So there was someone else who who. Who, who acknowledged that, that Pinker, but he, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he made the counterpoint that at the same time, things are hurtling apart in, in, our, in our society, in our morals and community bonds and all these other ways. So we're actually both things happening at the same time. Yeah, I certainly agree much more with, I mean, and I'd already written my piece, but Carl Benjamin did a, a long uh, tweet about, about it as well, very much agreeing with me and, and saying, you know, you can't, Actually, I think he was referring to something else, but maybe it was a reply to it. Anyway, the point is people are saying to Carl, well, statistics show this, statistics show that. The point is everyone's empirical experience. The reason this song has resonated is because people's actual on-the-ground experience is that it feels like that. It feels like there is total control. We look at the COVID era. It feels like uh, things are, are wrong. You know, you, your dollar, the dollar has been devalued. We know this fiat currency. And he, it, it, he was, he, he's clearly right, and he's clearly tapped into something that a lot of people are feeling. You can prove with stats, okay, you know, wealth has gone up, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really change people's experience, does it? Uh, the, 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 the U.S. is kind of in decline, managed by these people that either seem to want it or certainly they can't do anything about it, and it seems to be in a state of managed decline and despair. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly where Nathan Kofner's was coming from, but it sounded like um, the uh, one side of the debate kind of um, within the national conservative movement. So one thing that became apparent and has been apparent probably for years, but if you attended the conference in London a few months ago, is that there did seem to be this schism um, between, I mean, ev everyone kind of um, uh, was, was kind of um, culturally conservative and um, on the same side in the culture war. But they were divided um, on the economy uh, and what the kind of economic policy of the culturally conservative ideal 
right of center party would be. Um, there were the kind of libertarian Austrian economists, free market, you know, on the economy. And then there were people who embraced, um, you know, a bigger role for the state. And, and, and I guess to Kofner's ears, it sounded a bit like um, this guy was in the kind of blue collar populist Trump conservative tradition, which he as, you know, um, a free market capitalist was slightly suspicious of. Oh, yeah, the old libertarians. Yeah, very similar to, we talked about this kind of thing with Eric Kaufman on my podcast, The Current Thing, just out, new episode, and and he calls them business liberals. He, he says the Tories is full of business liberals who are basically, mm. they're far to the left of the of their voters on culture and morals, but they're to the to the right on the economy. I think that's, and that's it, really. That's the divide mm-hmm. there, isn't it? Yeah, and, but, but Oliver Anthony's talking about that very real experience. Obese people milking welfare, we're sick of Epstein and corruption. We're sick of control, and we're sick of yeah. The, the, our money not seeming to go as far as it was. Cost of living, whatever the American version of that phrase is. So yeah, I, I think it, and in fact, I just think it obviously is resonated with people. And now, and, and I do say in the article. And by the way, guys, go to my article because I say it much better than I managed to in speaking. He does point out he's a centrist. It's a smart thing for musicians to say because Bruce Springsteen has alienated a lot of his audience. The people he sings about would obviously be Trump fans, but he's attacked Trump. Taylor Swift eventually came out as a standard lib and lost some people there. Much better to say neutral, but he's not really neutral. He's opening with a psalm. And, but it's not that he's, he's going to go for, and run for the Republican Party. He's not a Republican. It's just that if you protest now against the prevailing ideology and the system, you are by nature a de facto conservative in a sense in the the left are in charge and they're the ones tyrannizing us and ruining everything. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 Okay. But it was a great song. And it's, it's about, it's what music should be about, sticking it to the man. It's not about, here's my political platform and this is, you know, I want to do this with pensions. It's about a general feeling of, uh, you know, dissatisfaction with the establishment. It just so happens the establishment is on the left. doesn't mean that Kaufman's a Republican. It just means he's a, he's a musician and it's a great song. So well done to Oliver Anthony. Did I say Kaufman then when I meant Anthony? Yeah, I think you just called him Eric Kaufman. Um, just mad. before we we started <laughs> Sorry, recording Eric's this, a cool guy, this <laughs> just before we started recording this, you 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 were just um, noodling away on your own guitar and doing I I thought was a very good cover version <laughs> of Richmond North of Richmond. Do, do you want to just give us a quick burst? All of right, that? I'll give you a little bit, and um, Jason can edit this out because I don't know how this will come through. <laughs> yeah, you said we should just open the show and no one would know the difference. I thought that was a bit ambitious. Um, the song he plays it in G minor, which is far too high for me. But if you haven't heard the song yet, it goes. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours, bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, etc. So that's based out of song goes. But he's playing it up here in G minor. Although some people tell it wasn't G minor in key, but those are the chords anyway. So um, he plays it on a resonator guitar. He plays it on the, with a capo on the fifth fret. But he tunes it down a step so that it's in. He playing the chords G minor, B flat, E flat, and F. If anyone, anyone wants to play it, and I put that in my review just to show that Rolling Stone failed to do that. You know, why not have some of the music in the actual mm. review? Anyway, I wish I could sing like him. He, he's playing it up in G minor, and it's like he nails the vocals. It's so impressive. If I could sing like that, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. No offense. Uh, <laughs> But, um, but... <laughs> that, that, that brings me to that, that does raise the question, Nick. Having heard you play your guitar there, 
you know, very competently. And I thought your voice sounded pretty good. Do you have, are you a frustrated folk singer yourself? Do you, do you, do you, do, would you like to kind of record a folk song about, you know, how everything's going to hell in a handbasket and life's never been tougher for the working class in your flat and it for it to go viral is that your secret ambition yeah well i thought i was going to do music with my life but really i'm more about like i'm more about more like that kind of thing i'm more like about electric and lead i can't really play on the podcast but i'm more about kind of like i can't do it while i'm trying to i've got too many wires in the way i was always more about um i was always more about playing um lead and and stuff like that whereas i I could never really do the singer songwriter thing but you've outed me, Toby, as, a, as someone who wanted, sorry, sorry for the sound, everyone, I'm, I'm moving around. You've outed me as someone who, yeah, I thought I was going to do music with my life. I thought that's what I was going to do, be a guitarist. And I have played with some proper musicians and stuff, but never worked out, ended up doing comedy, didn't have the personality to manage to stay in a band, <laughs> too much of a lonely <laughs> weirdo, so I had to do comedy instead. But um, yeah. Yeah, so that's you. That's sort of yeah. That's where I'm coming from. Though. And then, then I did comedy. Then I found that actually, the thing I'm best at is just, you know, saying far right stuff on the telly, <laughs> which Scott Adams would call talent stacking because you know you're not good enough to make him these other things, but you stack them all together and they kind of work. Um, maybe, anyway, maybe maybe Nick, maybe we can for for the next Free Speech Union Christmas special in partnership with Comedy Unleashed, we can have you come up on stage and play a few songs. Yeah, maybe. I'm trying to play better now because this cable's in the way. Listener, the listeners can't see, but I've got a massive cable in my way. So I used to play more like kind of... Jason let it all this out. I can't simultaneously podcast and play. But um, yeah, we could do that, Toby. Let, listeners can let us know if they want to hear that. Um, I uh, obviously don't want to do it. But um, <laughs> that was that bit. Anyway, we can edit all that out. So um, should, we, should we take a very hard right turn, so to speak, and talk about the AFD? Yes. So the AFD, so, yeah. where um, I actually played so badly there, which was a shame. The AFD, um, Germany's trying to ban them. So 23%, according to what I saw, and 21%, according to the Telegraph, of people say they would vote for the AFD, making them the second biggest party. CDU was polling at 26%. And 78% of Germans say they're unhappy with the direction the country is heading under the current government. And so, so everyone wants the AFD. And much like the Oliver Anthony thing, there's a course a, a populist uprising people obviously are highly dissatisfied with our weird quasi-authoritarian globalist governments and they want something else uh but they're not going to allow this to happen and and uh the uh the spiegel said they ha- it was time to defend democracy with better weapons and someone else the oh the president even frank walter steinmeier is that you say it said that the democratic parties are required to demonstrate clear resolute even militant opposition and andreas Jerker, uh, pronunciation question mark, was an ADF politician who was beaten up by immigrants really badly. If you look at the pictures of his face, like the start of some Michel Welbeck mm. novel. So, and and some people have said that AFD might have as much as forty or fifty percent in some districts on the down low. So, what do you think, Toby? I mean, very popular party coming up. I don't know their policies personally, but I obviously think people should be able to vote for who they want. But apparently, Germany doesn't agree. Yeah, no, Germany has this. Um uh it has 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 a constitution and the constitution prohibits um far right parties with certain policy agendas um 
i.e. anything resembling the Nazi party, from um, being allowed to contest elections uh, for obvious reasons. Um, And the argument for banning the AFD is that um, um, it's a threat to um, democracy um, and therefore an anti-constitutional party which can be banned under Germany's constitution. Um, It seems to me to be a pretty thin argument i'm not i don't even though um obviously i don't agree with all of the afd's policies particularly its position on the war in ukraine where it's broadly pro-putin um uh, nevertheless um it doesn't seem to be actively working to undermine democracy it hasn't said that if it was to win an election it would then cancel elections or kind of um overturn human rights um so that seems to be a bit of a stretch, though there was um, a, a German federal court did rule that it was unconstitutional. That's not sufficient to um, uh, ban it. Um, but um, what was it? It was, um, uh, yeah, German court may not have been a federal court, may have been a state court. Um, but um, it seems to me to be absolutely insane for the current, um, uh, the leaders of the current German coalition parties um, to uh, suggest banning AFD uh, and for various mainstream media publications to kind of take this seriously. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't talk about doing it and then not do it, which in all likelihood is what's going to happen because you'll only massively boost the support for your political rival. Um, and it's not it's not clear that even if they wanted to do it, they could do it. Um, you know, um, Germany has an independent judiciary, and in the you know there's it's no there's absolutely no guarantee that um, uh, the um, what the federal office for the protection of the constitution, which would need to rule, I think that um, it was an anti democratic party and therefore couldn't stand in elections. There's no there's no guarantee that it would actually uh, take the side of the current German authorities and and ban the AFD. So it seems just absolutely flat out mad politics to run this up the flagpole in the first place. And needless to say, since it's been run up the flagpole, the support for the AFD has increased. Um, And just to give you, I mean, even if um, you genuinely believe that um, the, there was a, there was a kind of enough of a similarity between the AFD and the Nazi party to justify banning them. It's not clear that that would, um, uh, stop the AFD or reduce support for the AFD, as we know from efforts to ban the Nazi party in the Weimar Republic. Um, Hitler was banned from speaking in several German states over a kind of five-year period in the 1920s. Um, It didn't seem to in any way undermine his appeal. Um, uh, The official newspaper of the Nazi party was frequently banned. uh, uh, Julius Streicher, the editor of Der Stormer, was for a, for, 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 for a period jailed for anti-Semitism. Um, Goebbels's newspaper uh, was the most banned newspaper in the Weimar Republic, enabling Goebbels to make that boast. I mean, if anything, the attempt to suppress the Nazi party and uh, to, 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 to make the... Um, uh, anti-Semitism, um, a criminal offence, um, actually fueled the rise of the Nazis. So you'd think Germany would have learnt its lesson and that such draconian, anti-democratic ways of trying to kill off your opponents always um, explode in your face. Um, so it just seems absolutely crazy. And as Eugippius, um, who 
is a fantastic substacker and whose substack posts we often republish in the Daily Skeptic. He pointed out in his most recent piece about this very subject um, that, you know, it just seems completely tin-eared and politically hopeless for Germany's current ruling parties. They're aware of these this burgeoning protest movement, this kind of populist revolt um, over things like immigration, cost of living, the assault on agriculture, the insane embrace of net zero, the dependence for all Germany's energy needs on Russian gas and so on and so forth. I mean, crazy politics, um, uh, partly a legacy of um, Angela Merkel's um, uh, premiership, but also crazy stuff that's happened since then. You know, the way to um, deal with the rise of a rival party, the threat that the AFD poses to to the current political elite, is to modify their policies. Um, to you know, to to not insist that every house install a heat pump by twenty thirty, to soften some of those net zero targets, to um, develop a nuclear energy program. Um, you know, that would be the the kind of sensible political response to the rise of the AFD, not we're just going to double down on these policies that everyone hates and we're going to ban any political parties that um, that oppose them. It just seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you think that was obvious. As Eudripius said in the piece you're referring to, the major parties could at any moment deprive the AFD of considerable support simply by moderating their political program. What is most ominous about these developments is the general refusal to even consider this path as I said in another context, democracy has become, for our rulers, not a political system, but a series of desired outcomes. And that's pretty much it. And you just think, yeah, why are they so stupid? But Toby, is have they now become the Nazis? It's the obvious point. You know, I mean, it's unlikely that history would repeat itself exactly. And it doesn't take much imagination to say that this is the new authoritarianism. And, you know, Reagan said, I think, something about the new liberals will come, the fascists will come back as liberals or whatever. It, it, it's not. It's pretty obvious. I mean, we've got South African farmers being brutally murdered, and no one cares because they're white and they're South African, and because in history they've been seen as the villains. But it's, it, it, you know, is the threat from the AFD, or is the threat? Is this just Germany reverting to type by actually being so authoritarian and banning other parties, or are the AFD still the real threat? But the way they're tackling it is wrong. Um, well, I think um, certainly the current German government um, seems to have embraced this kind of, I want to call it soft totalitarianism, but it's increasingly less and less soft and banning a rival political party certainly isn't soft totalitarianism. That's just outright totalitarianism. Um, But it does seem to be part of a global trend, certainly in the West, dating back to the beginning of the pandemic and perhaps even earlier um, of a kind of abandonment of democracy, an abandonment of faith in the demos, um, uh, a a kind of deteriorating commitment to free speech, um, the kind of rise of censorship as a kind of political tool that's now acceptable to educated elites in a way it wasn't until about 10 years ago. Uh, The shocking thing about all this, I mean, of course, James wouldn't be shocked. He thinks this has been the direction of travel for 2000 years. And this is just kind of the evil cabal emerging into plain sight um, and about to declare victory. And we're in the end game. I don't think so. I think it's um, a relatively recent development. But what is 
really alarming about it is that um, it shows just how skin deep the commitment to freedom and democracy is amongst our ruling elites. Um, They seem to be becoming increasingly attracted to this kind of technocratic authoritarianism, um, uh, sort of which harnesses the power of um, the internet, social media, AI to promote a particular agenda. And anyone who doesn't share that agenda is kind of cast out, ostracized, uh, punished, um, put down in various ways. And it's a it's a really unpleasant development. And it seems obvious to me, but not to, you know, um, members of the kind of elite governing parties across Europe, um, that this is entirely counterproductive. This is going to have the opposite of its intended effect. You're just going to fuel more and more um, chaotic populist revolts. If this is the way you deal with dissent and challenge, you kind of try and suppress it and shut it down uh, rather than try and accommodate it and survive. Yeah. And I think we've learned with COVID, they, yeah, they absolutely don't believe in liberal democracy anymore. But as I quite often say, they, they can't quite just say it. It's still, you can't just say, yeah, we're crushing our opposition, guys. That's what we're into now. We just think net zero is too important. And we're just, we're going to make decisions for you because you plebs don't really understand and uh, eat the bugs and be happy. Although occasionally the WEF will say that in a, in a badly judged tweet, they can't really just say that. So they have to say, oh, these people are threatening democracy. So they still play lip service to the idea of democracy, but I don't particularly believe at all that they have any any uh, concern about democracy. Um, is that pretty much covered, Toby? Do you want to get on to Wolves? Let's get on to Wolves, yeah. yeah some sort of, could, not, not some sort of uh, link to far-right politics, uh, but they sometimes would use a wolf or something, wouldn't they? As a, I feel like there's some, there's some link there. Maybe I'm thinking of the computer game, yeah. Wolfenstein. Um, but anyway, the point is Wolves are back or they would be if uh, George Monbiot gets his way. So George Monbiot wrote this incredible piece in The Guardian titled, Britain's surging deer population is causing an ecological disaster. I have a solution. Wolves. And I know that the writers uh, don't write the headlines, but that's like, that's well, you couldn't tell if it was parody. Those Guardian memes that go around, you're like, this must be one of those memes, but it was completely real. Monbiot wants wolves back. And loads of people want wolves back. He even said in the piece, while rewilding has spread further and faster in the past 10 years than I could have dreamed. Why are you dreaming about rewilding? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and, um, okay, he points out we need to cull the deer. But we shouldn't have added deer anyway. I mean, if we've added, it sounds like we've added non-native deer species. So we shouldn't have done that anyway. That, that you know, shouldn't mess with it anyway. That, that might have created the problem. But wolves are not the answer. And this really annoyed me. There was someone else called Chris Corney saying, uh, calling Christopher Snowden a pussycat and saying, how at risk would you or your family be from wild animals compared to being knocked down by a car? Bring nature on, bring it back, let's live again. And Snowden said, you live in central London, which is a, which is a pretty <laughs> good point. Yeah, and he even wanted bears and boars, this guy too. And this really annoyed me as someone from the countryside. I'm not claiming to understand all the uh, the logistics behind the the numbers of deer and so on, but it just annoyed me because if you're from the country, and some people pointed out, I live in London. It's like, yes, I live in London now, but I grew up in the country for 18 years. Thank you. And what, 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 the people wouldn't grasp it if they're from the city. I remember, and I, one tourist coming to our door, knocking on the door to tell my dad that there were sheep on the road. And my dad was like, yeah, what do you want me to do about it? There were sheep on the road every day. And this is a small example. These people don't understand country life. If your dog got too close to the sheep, the farmer can shoot your dog legally with his shotgun. He's allowed to do it. And so anytime the dog started to run off after the sheep, you have to grab it and stick it on the lead, or it could be shot. Imagine if one of these city dwellers came up to Cumbria, came up to the lakes, and their dog was shot. 
They would be traumatized for life. Never mind wolves. <laughs> you, you can cope with a wolf, do you? you? You urban scum. Wolves, Toby, are massive. If you've ever seen a wolf, people think wolves are like a sort of posh dog. Look at a wolf next to a dog. It's twice the size, at least. They're absolute, wolves are massive killing machines. So I don't understand Absolutely, all the logistics. Yeah. My point even is... Even fatter. Yep. They're massive. Don't add them to the countryside because we live there and you don't understand it. And you don't understand we live amongst animals. Deer come into my parents' garden. If that was wolves or bears, as this guy wants, like stop trying to manage the countryside when you live in the city and you don't understand how we live. And you just, yeah, just add wolves to, no, we don't want wolves. We want to be able to walk around our normal walks without thinking, will I get eaten by a wolf? Will my kid be attacked? Will the farmer's sheep be attacked? Will he end up having to shoot wolves? Will the farmer, will he eat his dog? I mean, what do you think, Toby? Because I'm, I'm furious. You know, it is, it is batshit crazy. Um, and um, it seems to be of a piece with the kind of, you know, the um, totalitarian shift um, amongst the kind of educated liberal elite. They now have such contempt for ordinary working people. They want to unleash wolves on their livestock um, in the countryside. It just, it, it's extraordinary. Um, and, um, uh, you know, as you say, you know, they are enormous and quite scary. And um, once they've eaten a few sheep and, you know, gorge themselves on some cows, I mean, they're going to be even bigger. Um, so uh, it, I, 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 I am... Um, I, uh, I, I, I went on a, an Extinction Rebellion protest three years ago to write about it for The Spectator. And it's four years ago now. It's 2019. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I, um, I came across George Monbiot. And so I'll just, I've just found what I wrote about him at the time. The high point of my day was witnessing a speech given by the Guardian columnist George Monbiot on Millbank. It was dusk and he was surrounded by hushed congregants sitting in a circle. He stood on a small box and delivered what was, in essence, a religious sermon. He talked about how he and his fellow Echo, Echo Warriors were kind, altruistic people, rebelling, quote, with love in our hearts, unquote, against an avaricious, vampiric, necrophilic economic system kept afloat by neoliberals and psychopaths. If we love ourselves, he said, we must purge this toxic system built around capitalism from our souls. The talk ended with some call and response, with George shouting out, extinction, and the crowd replying, rebellion. It was like a scene from a 21st century equivalent of the life of Brian, except in this version, the protagonist had embraced his messianic status. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it felt like I was witnessing the birth of a kind of new religion on this kind of street corner in Westminster. It was like, I literally stumbled across this scene uh, and um, and there he was standing on a soapbox surrounded by these kind of kneeling or seated worshippers who were just gazing at him with adoration. He was embracing the role. He was like a kind of, it was like a kind of, you know, the early days of the kind of Protestant rebellion. Um, it was, uh, but it really did feel like, you know, you were watching a religious a religious figure uh, surrounded by his acolytes kind of leading this new burgeoning global movement. Um, and so it more or less proved to be. And then at the end, he said, release the wolves. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's like a, the scope here for a kind of a remake of um, American Werewolf in London? You could call it, you know, um, American Werewolf at the Guardian. And um, <laughs> you can imagine kind of, you know, somebody kind of in a toilet, like, you know, some kind of predatory, but so-called feminist newspaper columnist kind of 
starts convulsing in the lavatories, in the unisex toilets, in the Guardian, and kind of hair starts growing out of his. Or may, maybe it's a tra- maybe it's a trans employee of the Guardian. There you go. Um, uh, so they're wearing a dress, but they're in the unisex toilets, and suddenly their kind of five o'clock shadow bursts into life, and they grow this bushy beard, and their back starts arching, and then they kind of leap out of the kind of unisex toilet, and everyone, all, everyone in the Guardian, all the soy boys, start screaming and running. Of course, they kind of run for the exits much faster than the women and shove them out the way. Uh, and there's <laughs> there's there's Moonbot, you know, on his typewriter, kind of not noticing because he's so you know obsessed with what he's writing and so taken up with religious fervor. Suddenly, he looks up and there's and he just gets eaten. American um, <laughs> American trans werewolf at the Guardian. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say Mombia himself was the one. He he merges. He's so desperate to. He loves wolves so much. He merges with the wolf and gets one to bite him or something. Becomes the werewolf himself and like I don't know, goes around. I don't know, terrorizing conservatives. I don't know what he'd do. Eating deer in the countryside. I don't know. It seems like nobody wants to. Did you actually see the movie Wolf with Jack Nicholson? That's a great film, actually. Yeah, that's pretty. Good. That's pretty much yeah. what you're describing, but yeah. a sort of trans version. Yeah, trans- because there's another teen way to- wolf, but have trans wolf. And then Transwolf 2, like the, the, the much worse straight-to-video sequel without any of the main stars. <laughs> yeah, Transwolf, there you go. Yeah, um, uh, but <laughs> That's I, the episode I, I, title I, I, sorted as well, Transwolf. <laughs> yeah, it could, like, first of all, it goes, goes through Owen Jones, like, you know, like a like straight like a knife through butter, just straight through Owen Jones. Suddenly, his his his. Oh, actually, I won't fantasize it too much. Longer. <laughs> like, oh, Sam, that psychopath, that psychopath slur by Moonbot might sound a bit too credible if I talk about it anymore. But anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> I won't I won't fantasize about the death of Owen Jones. We, we've got we've got lines here, guys. We're, 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 we're decent moderates. Um, fair enough. That is funny. Um, I don't want to see. Yeah, I don't want to say too much because they can. You know, cancel culture doesn't exist, as Owen Jones says, but he could actually brutally cancel as Toby, even though it doesn't exist, as he said. Um, yes, yeah, so we better be careful. And he did brutally, he helped brutally cancel Suzanne Moore, um, fellow Guardian columnist, when she refused to toe the line on the trans issue. Uh, yeah, cancel culture doesn't exist, but if you step out of line on this issue, I'm going to get you fired. Yeah, it's weird. He just says it's uh, it's social media criticism that people don't like. Who'd have thought? Um and some breaking news, by the way, is that there, there is there. This is breaking, so we, hard to talk about too much. But a common and least gig at the Edinburgh Festival has been cancelled by the venue following online pressure. And Andrew Dawes says it is astonishing that a comedy night at the largest arts festival in the world should be prevented going from going ahead simply because activists are offended. The comedy industry is in a dire state. It's about time that promoters, venues, comedy critics, and comedians made a concerted effort to support free expression in the arts. Absolutely. It seems to be about a particular comedian, but we don't, I, I don't know who at the time of writing, but they didn't, the venue has said, we would like to thank the public for bringing to our attention about, about a comedian, that doesn't even make sense, comma, about a comedian who had been booked for the upcoming comedy show at our venue this Thursday, which we were not made aware of, Block Capitals, until today via emails from rightly so outraged members of our community. We do not support this comedian or his views and he will not be allowed to perform at our venue and is cancelled in block capitals, in case you were wondering if cancel culture exists, from Thursday's comedy show with immediate (laughs) effect. (laughs) I love that. An outside organiser was responsible for the lineup, and we are unaware as to who who is performing until now. We are an inclusive venue, there's that word, and we will not allow such views to violate our space. Poor old Leo. (laughs) I don't know who it was. Sounds like Leo (laughs) Curse. Must be. Do you think, was he playing in Edinburgh? Uh, no, he's he can't because he's 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 at GB, isn't he? Hosting all Mark Dolan's oh, shows. 
But Andrew Doyle has said um, our Comedy Unleashed gig at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe has been cancelled by our venue following online pressure. Was it Leith Arches? Yeah, Is that yeah, the name Leith of the Arches. Venue? That's one I just read so a statement was, from. So it was, it, was, it was Comedy Unleashed? Yeah. Um, I said I, that, who, Toby, when you were did you say that? about Sorry, Don't worry. You're still, <laughs> so still thinking about, about Owen Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, but who was on the bill? I think it probably, as you say, it must have, Leo must have been one of the people on the bill. No, he can't because he's in London. Um He's in London doing all Mark Donald shows while he's away. Simon's up there, but I doubt it was Simon. But we'll have to, yeah, we'd have to check out the bill. It'd be quite hard because Edinburgh is quite. There's a lot of shows and they change a lot. But maybe we can find out. Yeah. Maybe we can. You can do some live sleuthing while the the listener yeah, listens no, I think to I've, you. Uh, Google. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you find it out quickly? Otherwise, we might have mm. to uh, move on and do it next week. Um, it's just some breaking yeah. news. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Graham Linehan. Graham Linehan was uh, one of the one of the um, one of the uh, uh, people in the lineup. Yes. So maybe and I've that got the was, Scottish um, Daily Express twenty minutes ago. Edinburgh Fringe comedy venue cancels Graham Linehan appearance after public complaint. Uh, had to be Linehan. Linehan said it was only his fifth ever gig as well. In another tweet, poor old Graham. Oh, that's just awful. That is so Graham. awful. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess the Free Speech Union will have to swing into action, see if uh, see, see if we can uh, take a look at the contracts, see if the venue is in breach of contract. Um, might well be. My advice to comedians, performers who are concerned that you know people like Owen Jones are going to try and get them cancelled is to sign a binding contract with the venue beforehand and not just pay the deposit, pay in full. And that makes it much harder for them to, to cancel the gig. Um, but this is pathetic. Uh, I, I, in the case of the Jerry Sadowitz cancellation this time last year, the argument was, well, we, the venue, we, we, it's not us, but it's our staff. You know, um, they're young, they're quite sensitive, and they've just refused to work on this particular night. So for health and safety reasons, we can't possibly go ahead with the gig. How can we do it without our staff? It blamed the staff for being kind of um, snowflakes. Um, but my solution to that was, well, why don't we start a kind of non-woke employment agency, a temp agency? And if a venue is concerned that the staff are going to walk out or threaten to walk out if they book someone, you know, to the right of Jeremy Corbyn, um, then you know, for that particular night, you just make sure you hire this temp agency. We could probably get volunteers to staff it, you know, free speech loving retirees um, could come along and they would staff your venue for when Jerry Sadowitz or Graham Linehan is going to perform and you don't need to worry about your kind of snowflakes kind of threatening to go on strike if you don't cancel the person in, in, in question. But this this sounds even more egregious than the cancellation of Jerry Sadowitz. Yeah, it's a good point. You, you're just going to end up with that completely separate economy that people have posited. I mean, it, it's sort of inevitable, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's terrible. And maybe this is a topic for me on Free Speech Nation on Sunday. At the Definitely. time of recording, I am penciled or, well, I'm not penciled, I'm penned, but you never know in the world of showbiz. I'm scared. Well, maybe, maybe here's the bad news. Maybe Andrew Doyle was going up there to host and now it's been cancelled. He'll be back. He'll be to back on. Free yeah, it's Nation. very possible. It's very possible. So at the time. Oh, I'll tell you what, if he isn't, if he isn't, you should interview him about this particular cancellation. Well, I was thinking get Graham on. Get Graham we'll is get the So yeah, the Graham point on. I'm yeah. trying to get to is I'm supposed to be hosting Free Speech Nation on Sunday. So let's see on GB News. And I've got some great people lined up. So let's hope it goes ahead. And this could be another another story. Graham Linehan. Let's see if it, let's see anyway. Someone can talk about it. Um, it's, it's a big story. And it's just so pathetically like predictable, isn't it? Um, it really is. Yeah. Do you want to move on to our next story, Toby? This is a pretty big story, and I have previewed it in our intro, so we better do it, which is about West Yorkshire police. I'm sure everyone saw the, well, I don't know if she was a lesbian, but the police officer who, who uh, I don't know how it started, but, but an autistic 
teenagers said, oh, she looks like a lesbian-like nana, I, I believe is what was said, because she had short hair. And then the police officer kicked off, of course, and got really aggressive and said, oh, she's getting arrested, she's getting arrested. And then the mother, I believe it was, was sort of saying, she's autistic, you can't stop touching her. And it was one of these kind of awful viral videos. West Yorkshire police receiving such bad PR from harassing a teenage autistic girl put out a statement that said, in relation to an incident in Leeds on Monday where a 16-year-old girl was arrested on suspicion of a homophobic public order offence. Thanks, Orwell. West Yorkshire Police has now reviewed the evidence and made the decision to take no further action because she didn't commit a crime, you idiot. This concludes the criminal investigation and immediately released the girl from her bail. Releases the girl from her bail. Her family has been updated. So it's very poor font on her terrible background, so it's actually quite hard to read. Anyway, they go on and they don't really apologise at all. And they just... They just say a load of nonsense really there was not an apology i translated i just quote tweeted it and said the officer acted out of woke zealotry combined with sadistic abuse of power which i felt she did in the video you're only issuing this non-apology because of the bad pr you now exist only to tyrannize innocent people which is why everyone hates you and that's got 1400 likes so you, not to boast about my likes but to suggest that people actually do feel like that and it's the anarcho tyranny striking again toby you punish the innocent while you deliberately don't punish criminals but you punish the innocent because it's much easier to do and because some would say it's a feature not a bug because that is it, it tyrannizes people further but i don't know if you would go as far as that but what did you make of it yeah no the timing couldn't really be much worse for the police could it whilst you know teenagers are running amok in oxford street and regent street mizzy is running circles around the police whenever he breaches one of these um orders um the police have a polite word with him and he just laughs in their faces and carries on so all this is seemingly the police can do absolutely nothing about it's more or less tolerated even though it verges on you know complete chaos and a breakdown of you know law and order in our city centers in a way which is going to have a devastating impact on you know the retail sector oxford street is still you know um uh a huge part of the kind of retail economy in the West End. It's most expensive rents in the country. If you want to open a shop, that's all going to be worthless if this kind of behavior carries on. The police can seemingly do nothing about it. And yet it took, and yet seven of them suddenly appeared, seven police officers in West Yorkshire to arrest a 16 year old autistic child um, for supposedly calling one of the police officers, not not even calling, saying to the police officer that she reminded her of her lesbian nana. Um, and homophobic public order offence is a bit of a stretch. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with the Public Order Act. It does prohibit um, stirring up hatred against people on grounds of sexual orientation. But I don't think you could, you could by any stretch of the imagination, um, describe comparing a WPC to a lesbian aunt or grandmother was stirring up hatred. Um, uh, it just seems like a fairly innocent, perhaps a little bit cheeky, but certainly not something that seven police officers would have been required to kind of arrest someone for. It's just absolutely, it's just beggar's belief. Um, and the Free Speech Union wrote to West Yorkshire Police, and I pointed out in my letter that. On the face of it, it wasn't clear, but on the face of it, it seemed as though um, after this girl had been taken back to her house by the police, I mean, I think the context is that her parents or one of her parents rang the police because they were worried about her because she was drunk and she was in the 
city centre and they asked the police to, to go and get her and they did and they brought her home. And when they brought her home, the girl then compared the WPC to her lesbian nana. But if she did that in her home and the police officer was in her home when she said it, then it's not a public order offence because there's the domestic dwelling defence, which is if you say something likely to stir up hatred um, in your own home um, and you say it to someone else in your own home, then you can't be prosecuted for it. Um, uh, anyway, I pointed this out in, in a letter to West Yorkshire Police and I also asked for assurance that a non-crime hate incident hadn't been recorded against her name. And it was it was within a couple of hours of my sending that letter that West Yorkshire Police issued the statement. So I'm not claiming full credit, hmm. but it may have been a factor. Yeah, I think you're, you're behind most of this, Toby. Uh, but yeah, it is incredibly chilling. I mean, and as as Carl pointed out, actually, in a brilliant tweet, I'm just remembering now, half remembering, he um he pointed out that this is this is baked into the ideology. They think they're in the in the right when the officer mm. is ty- is is tyrannizing and you know they're grabbing this 16 year old autistic girl to arrest her. They still believe they're they're absolutely in the right. They got caught out this time, but it doesn't they still think you're scum and they're right because they are upholding the, the ideology, and and the girl by making that comment has created. Cri- committed a mortal sin essentially yeah they've, they've they've it's it's i mean one of the complaints people have i think reasonably made about the creation of this new category of crime called hate crime whereby if in the course of committing a crime you're motivated against hatred of the victim based on their membership of a protected identity group you can be um you could you, you can receive um, a higher tariff from the court. You're going to be punished more severely because it's a hate crime. Um, one of the shortcomings, one of the criticisms people make about that is, well, you know, why should um, uh, the thoughts of the criminal when, or the the, the, the the accused when committing the crime, why should what they're thinking affect what their sentence is? Um, why should it be um, a more severe offence deserving of a higher tariff just because they're thinking bad thoughts when they commit the crime. That's effectively criminalizing particular thoughts. Um, and um, But the, the issue doesn't seem to be so much that it means there's kind of two-tier policing in which hate crimes, um, they're more interested in kind of catching hate criminals than they are regular criminals. What seems to have happened is that they just totally lost interest in catching regular criminals. I mean, particularly petty criminals, you know, you can burgle, you can break into a car, you can riot on Oxford Street and expect to more or less get away with it, not to be molested by the police. They're not going to feel your collar um, for burgling someone or stealing something from their car or even stealing a car. Um, but if you commit a hate crime, um, then the police take it very, very seriously indeed, much, much more seriously. It's not just they take it more seriously than regular crime. They don't seem to take regular crime seriously at all anymore. Yeah, but that, that is the definition of anarcho-tyranny, as I said before. A system of government that fails to enforce or adjudicate protection to its citizens while simultaneously persecuting innocent conduct. That's where we are now. That's the key part of it. They don't fix, whether you say it's happened deliberately, however we've got here, we are now at a point where they don't solve crimes, they don't persecute criminals, and they do persecute the innocent. And that is baked into it. And um, let's see what Carl says in his tweet. He says, the thing that West Yorkshire police, Carl Benjamin, don't yet accept is that they are wrong. They will not acknowledge the corruption of their own forces culture because they do not see it as corruption. They do not recognize the abstract moral rot that is divorcing them from the people they are meant to serve as being the source of the problem. They have adopted a faith that tells them that it is possible for them to be the authority and also be the victims of the people whose neck they are standing on. 
They decided that power is invisible so long as they hold to this new faith. The lesbian policewoman was righteous in extirpating the oppression of homophobia wherever it is found, which is why they think she was justified in terrorizing a teenage girl. And it goes on and on. But I think that's I think that's correct. They're not insensible. They can see that the despicable public are in unity against their hallowed lesbian officer. For now, they will see that and have hit some kind of barrier. They will see that they've hit some kind of barrier, but they do not think the problem lies with them. They think the problem lies with you. You haven't changed their minds. You've only shown yourself to be outside of the faith. I think that's completely correct. Yeah, and it's it's sort of part of the broader hollowing out of the public service, public service ethic. Um it's it's kind of the police the police's sense of purpose as with you know the public sector more widely but certainly in the emergency services and the health service in whitehall that sense of public service loyalty to the crown serving the british people doing it out of a sense of commitment and duty um to the public um and through the public you know to your country um so fueled by a sense of duty patriotism, the public service ethic, a kind of Republican virtue dating back to Roman times, which had found its way into, you know, um, the British public services. Um, That now seems to have in the past 25 years, more or less gone. It's been hollowed out. It no longer has any purchase. um, And it's been replaced by a new sense of moral purpose, which is that you have a moral duty to make life better for the historically disadvantaged, the marginalised people who've been nominated as members of protected identity groups. And that's where they get their sense of moral purpose from. It's like, so they no longer feel any obligation towards the general public. There's no kind of sense that they're fulfilling their purpose and their duty by upholding the law. Uh, No, it's all about protecting these beleaguered victim groups that's that's why they've joined that's that's now their sense of mission and it's not just the police it's across the public sector yeah absolutely very well put uh toby do you want to do one of our adverts now since we've done about an hour yeah sure um everyone's torn of course on how long the podcast should be some people say longer some people say shorter but let's see how it goes anyway we have a couple of ads we've got a new ad a new ad today from um uh a, a a an author who stars himself, D.C. Alden. So you're a free thinker, or you wouldn't be listening to The Weekly Skeptic. But what do free thinkers do to relax? Many of us still enjoy a good book. So I'd like to introduce you to fellow free thinker and best-selling author, D.C. Alden. A former soldier and police officer, D.C. writes with pace, style, and genuine authority. And his thrillers have been described as a fusion of Frederick Forsyth, Tom Clancy, Clive Cussler, and Andy McNabb. Global pandemics, UFO mysteries, and military actions so real it'll make you dive for cover. DC's hard-hitting novels have garnered thousands of five-star ratings on Amazon. So why not check out Invasion Downfall, the first thrilling episode of his chart-topping Invasion UK series. Some say it's fiction, others the shape of things to come. Why don't you decide? So head on over to Amazon now and discover the dark, dangerous and gripping world of top G thriller writer D.C. Alden. So that's D.C. Alden. Books available on Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk. And check out his Invasion Downfall, the first thrilling episode in the Invasion UK sequence. I'm going to go and do that myself. That's D.C. Alden, uh, Invasion Downfall, available on Amazon. Uh, either dot com or dot co dot uk. All right, 
Sorry about that. I was away for a second. I was just uh, checking if I could play guitar at the end of the uh, show as a kind of outro when I do the reviews, but it's, it's too hard to play while I've got this, all these cables around. So uh, no one criticized my guitar playing because it is excellent. I'm one of the best in the country, and you can't base it on this podcast. Um, Toby, do you want to do our... I mean, we've done about an hour and a bit. Do you want to do our, our new section? We've got a couple of things to cover in our new... I don't, I'm just hinting at it. I don't want to say the, the word. Should we do it? Let's do it. All right. We've got a new section, and it is called The X-Files. Okay, so we've had to change the name of Birdwatch to X-Files because of Musk's rebranding, which I'm still not totally on board with. I refuse to update my app. I'm still on the old... I'm still on Twitter, if, even if no one else is. And a um, few, few this week, Charlotte Proudman was an interesting one. She was, uh, let's see if I can find the exact tweet or X or Zeet. What are they, they going to be called now? I don't know. Um, so Char- Dr. Charlotte Proudman, a, a sort of well-known Twitter troll, wrote, as my cousin, so she was, there was a picture of her on the grass at King's College, Cambridge, just being an exhibitionist as always. And she said, as my cousin took this picture of me in King's College, Cambridge, a white male student shouted, if they catch you, you'll get chucked out. I sharply told him, I belong here. My portrait hangs in the college chapel, not his. And uh, she points out, you're allowed to go on the grass if you have a PhD from there or whatever. And uh, so, of course, this was a heinous crime from the white male. She Imagine that, a white male. And, of course, if you're a racist and a sexist, you hate white males, obviously, and you're very comfortable expressing it. And um, so, and she assumed the worst as well, even though she she was technically right that she was allowed on grass, it turns out. But the guy was presumably just trying to help her. Maybe he got kicked out another week. Maybe his friend did, you know, we don't know. It's kind of a weird portrait of her as well. She seems to be like half-dressed in this portrait. It's kind of bizarre to me. But what do you think, Toby? She, Charlotte Proudman. Yeah, it's... Um, it I still can't believe shocking. she's real, personally, but... I, well, no, she's real. I think um, she's a celebrated feminist lawyer, Nick, and was recently profiled in the Times. I think she posed with her midriff showing, which caused a few raised eyebrows. That's what I'm saying. That's the portrait that's there. I'm like, why is that portrait in the college chapel when it's kind of like? It's is ca- that the portrait in the college chapel? That's what. Well, that's what that she photograph. says. She says my portrait hangs in the college chapel, and then she's got a picture of that. Okay, I didn't see that, and it's a and it's just a photograph of her with her midriff showing. Yeah, so, and in a, a dog. Chapel. Yeah, that, that sounds odd. Um, it's mad. But um, so yeah, it, the, the the really striking thing about this, which I think is why she got ratioed, is that clearly um, the undergraduate saying to her, "Be careful, you know, if you do that, you'll get into trouble." He was saying that you know one of the um, uh, scouts will leap out of a doorway and shout at you if you walk on the grass because unless you're a senior member of the college you're not allowed to walk on the grass and you know he was clearly just trying to be helpful she didn't look like i mean m- maybe he was maybe unconscious bias was at play and that he shouldn't have assumed she wasn't a senior member of the college but she was larking about she was being fo- well she wasn't just walking on the grass she was being photographed she was mucking about <laughs> She was mucking about and, yeah, exactly the kind of thing that a tourist would do. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and well, one reason I think he, he, he could be forgiven 
for for not realizing she was a senior member of the college because a senior member of the college wouldn't do that. And even senior members of the college who are allowed to walk on the grass probably wouldn't walk on the grass because why do you want to risk damaging the grass when you can perfectly easily walk on the path? The only reason you do it is if you were some kind of vainglorious nincompoop who wanted to advertise to the world that you were a senior member of the college and enjoyed the privilege of being able to walk on the grass, unlike the other plebs. Um, but she, she just assumed that he was kind of um, putting her down. He was being um, sexist. Um, uh, and so she she tartly informed him that she was a senior member of the college. And unlike him, her portrait hung in the chapel. Um, and it was just it was like, imagine see, being seeing the world through that lens, being so kind of being so, you know, um, cramped, crimped and hidebound by your identitarian politics, that even when someone's trying to be nice and helpful, um, uh, you see them as the enemy and you immediately snap at them. I mean, what did that poor, poor, poor undergraduate think, you know, to be snapped at by this horrible woman who he's just merely trying to say something helpful to? <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Um, but she is some kind of prize chump. I mean, you'd think that, you know, I mean, um, it must be so depressing if you're a kind of successful female professional, particularly in the law. And, you know, I've met lots of them and they're mostly pretty impressive people um it must be so depressing to to feel like in the eyes of the world you're represented by charlotte proudman you know most of them aren't so chippy about you know having you know let's say they're kc's they've got silk as she has i think um because they you know they're successful they're successful barristers they're not so chippy they don't think of it as you know i've had to fight the patriarchy to to kind of obtain this position i've been surrounded by sexist dinosaurs who i've had to defeat and overcome and i'm still gonna fight those battles on behalf of womankind everywhere i mean they're a little bit more mature than that most of the ones i've met a little bit kind of smarter and less defensive and kind of you know even if there's a grain of truth in that they don't throw it in your face the entire time i mean it's just she's just She's, it must be so embarrassing. I feel sorry for the all, all those incredibly impressive women I know, who've uh, particularly those who've achieved silk, um, working you know in the legal profession. Yeah, represented by her. Mm. And what's amazing is that broadsheet newspapers have run kind of fawning profiles on her, like long pieces. And I'm not talking about the Guardian, like the Times, because we were going to do one on headliners. It got spiked last minute, presumably because it wasn't a proper story. But it was just like long interviews with her like oh we've heard from charlotte Proudman. it's like she's a complete nut job like what why are we promoting this person who seems like a twitter troll made flesh and um tim stanley had quite a good point as well here because wasn't the main thing wasn't the interesting point as well that that the white male now is so low status was white male used to be high status and and sorry to go on about eric kaufman who i've even credited with writing country songs this week but he um <laughs> he 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 said on our podcast that we had this thing about we had this thing where in the sixties in America it was like you had to be careful if you were a black person speaking to white people and and how you dress them and so on. Then it completely flipped with the with the cult of anti racism and then you had to be on eggshells from then on. It was, and, and this is where we are now, where the white male he's so wretched and low status he he's, he he can just be destroyed by this woman who's like I can be on the grass, you absolute pleb. And I think Tim Stanley picked up on this when he said. He parodied the tweet and wrote, as my cousin took a picture of me in the House of Lords, a white male cleaner shouted, if they catch you, you'll get chucked out. I sharply told him, I'm the eighth Duke of Devonshire and I own half the country. It's the entitlement of the staff that really upsets me. 
And uh, isn't that it, Toby? Like, she is the high status one expressing disgust at what is now in a low status white male pleb. Well, that, that, that was actually, yeah, that actually happened um, uh, at uh, Cambridge. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago. So Priyam Varda Gopal, um, who is um, the kind of Indian version of Charlotte Proudman, if possible, even nuttier than Charlotte Proudman. And yeah, she's um, she, she, um, she had a go at um, a, a porter at her college. So, you know, a white working class man um, uh, for, for not calling her doctor. I think, you know, again, she assumed that he was presuming she was just a visitor or a graduate student or worse, an undergraduate um, and and didn't realize that she was a distinguished member of the college, a fellow, as well as a member of the Cambridge English faculty in good standing. How dare he not use her correct title? She 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 got really angry with him. Um, but that 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 it is. It's 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 um it's an assertion of status and the need to constantly remind white working class men in particular, or just white men in general, um, of their inferior status in the new matriarchal tyranny <laughs> that is Cambridge University. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you cited an even worse example than that. So I'm not sure which one's worse, but one of those two people is the most evil person to have ever lived. Um, got, <laughs> Don't say that. She'll sue you. She's, she's very litigious. <laughs> just oh, comedy, <laughs> satirical content, allegedly didn't mean it. It's a, it's a comedy podcast. Can't touch me. And I meant the other one, um, <laughs> whichever one's true. She's a lawyer. Jesus. Well, I meant which, whichever one is, I meant the one that's, whichever one isn't the one that's suing me. Um, so just banter there. Uh, we'll do one more. We'll do one more X-Files on uh, Tiffany Gomez. So this is a crazy plain lady. And this I say this is an X-Files because this was also big on X. Her video was on X being shared. And she was a crazy plain lady who who famously ran to the front of the plane and said that bleep bleeper ain't isn't real and she was alleging that the person she was sat next to on the train on the on the train on the plane was not real and everyone was like we want we need to know more here you know was he a lizard can we have more information and that's never really come out but but she went viral and now finally her someone who seems to be her or claims to be her has put out a video apologizing for it saying it was embarrassing but the video itself has just raised more questions one people are saying it's not her because it doesn't look that similar because, of course, she's much nearer to the camera. She's got makeup. It's staged rather than just on a plane. People are saying, you know, it's not even her. Of course, you get that every time on the internet now. And it might not be her. It could just be someone trying to get publicity. This is one of those rare times where I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not her. Because it is really weird. And in the video, the apology video, she still seems quite crazy. She seems kind of detached and vague. I'm not saying she's on, like, Xanax. But she has the manner of someone who is on a lot of Xanax. And she sort of has this weird manner, like, hey, yeah, it was bad. And, oh, gosh. I have enjoyed the memes. They've made me laugh so much, but it's very, very hateful. She does this really weird position <laughs> where she says that she's enjoyed the memes, but it's been incredibly harrowing and horrible for her. But without kind of missing a beat, her face just changes. I'm like, that's quite unhinged. She doesn't explain the incident at all. She doesn't say what had happened was I was having a bad day. I was on an awful lot of drugs. And I thought I saw a lizard person. She doesn't even like offer any explanation. She only apologizes for her conduct. Like, but yes, Tiffany, explain the conduct because you <laughs> left the train, a play. I keep saying a train. I, I, haven't, been, I haven't left the country in, uh, in since 2016, guys. I can't even conceive of planes anymore. You keep saying that someone next to you was not real. 
that's the elephant in the room. Maybe it was an actual elephant. We don't know, but maybe it was a lizard person. You're not addressing the lizard person in the room. Anyway, <laughs> and finally, I conclude, Toby, by saying she is hot, though. She did look hot in the apology video. And you said that she wasn't that hot. And actually, I've just got this problem with crazy women. <laughs> I'm attracted <laughs> to crazy women. She's a bit of a problem for me, but she's pretty hot. So I don't mind that she's completely insane and sees lizard people because she's smoking hot, Toby. No, no, you've got it. You've got it backwards there, Nick. Yes, she's you know she's she's quite attractive in a kind of retired stripper sort of way. Um, but um, but <laughs> she's got the fake boobies and you know the spray on tan and she's the big beautiful. Hair. She's a queen. And, and and but the reason you're attracted to her is not because you know she would pass muster in a country and western bar in Cumbria. The reason the reason you you're attracted to her is because she's flat out crazy. And I think you just have this kind of, you know, this moth-like attraction, like a moth to the flame to crazy women who are going to kind of turn your life into chaos. Yeah, the problem is with narcissists, they're often quite hot because they spend so much time obsessed with their appearance and they they become <laughs> narcissists because they've got a good face and they stare at it a lot. And these are the women I like and then they're nar- then of course they're insane. Um Toby, what do you think goes on in Cumbria? We don't have country and western bars. Do you, you think we're a retail park outside of Slough? In Cumbria, we just have like, we have pubs called things like the Badger Bar. We don't have country and western bar. What are you, what are you I thought, about? I thought, you know, I, I thought that isn't there, isn't there a kind of, isn't there a kind of affinity for country music in, in, in some parts of the north? I was just sort of lumping no. Cumbria in with, with, with that. No. We still like, basically, basically a bit like Sun Roses and Oasis up there because we're sort of, we're the, we're the northwest. No, I mean, where I'm from, we had a pub called Churchill's. You know, it's basically patriotic pubs, or they're called things like Royal something, or they're called King something, or they're called Badger something. Those are your choices. <laughs> and when you walk in, everyone turns and looks at you. And if you're not local, you probably get battered. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm, even though people think the lakes is nice, it's nice slash someone, I was talking about the wolves and how I don't, we don't want those urban folk in the country. And someone mm. replied, oh, it's a local pub for local people. That's based on a town in Cumbria, is it Alston? I need to check, but it's a uh, legal gentleman was based in Cumbria, so that is where I'm from. But anyway, that was a slight digression. The point is, Tiffany Gomez is hot, but we don't know. Do you have any theories, Toby, on why who why she saw who, what she saw on that plane? I I when when she said this guy's not real, I, I assume she meant um, I don't believe what he's saying because I think he's stolen my AirPods. Wasn't there a kind of, didn't it start with her losing her AirPods? I mean, I think the um, one theory is that she, she may have been um, slightly intoxicated. Um, and maybe if she is on um, Xanax then, or something similar, um, then the combination of alcohol and Xanax would explain the kind of unhinged behavior um but um yeah i couldn't really figure out what was going on like you i i hope for an explanation in the kind of apology video but no she there, there was nothing which okay. was kind of odd as you say yeah yeah she, you, well you think she meant it more in the rap well in a sort of john mcmurray sense of like you cannot be serious but also in a kind of rap exactly. sense of like yeah. this guy ain't real like he wasn't keeping yeah. it real i think she meant he literally oh. wasn't real and was a lizard right. I'm pretty pretty certain that's what she meant. Uh, I don't want to okay. speak for Tiffany, but and maybe and maybe I'll DM her, find out. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey Tiffany, um, <laughs> couldn't help but notice you're insane. Do you like uh, far right <laughs> comedic commentators in the UK who are only moderately overweight? Yeah, it's a good pitch. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's Tiffany. We don't know. Send in your suggestions. Uh, it was a bit of a team James one, I think. 
lots of people saying she was a clone. Shall I read our second advert, Toby? Yeah, go ahead. attempt to read it. It's quite long. It comes from our good friend, Thor Holt, who says, if, like me, you sometimes find yourself numbed out by this all-electric so-called modern world, why not join me back in the 1970s on North House Croft? North House Croft is our 50-year labor of love. At North House Croft on Instagram has been run by our family in an ecologically sustainable manner with home-reared meat, organic fruit and veg for decades, well before it became trendy to be eco. Sabina and Andy, assisted by their boys, including myself, is he saying he's one of their boys? Doesn't quite make sense. Had sustainably grown our 27 acres and a hippie hut hastily erected next to Croft House ruins to ride out our first wild winter in 1973 to a 220-acre eco-enterprise with beautiful beaches, sprawling buildings, and hundreds of friendships formed around the earth, the animals, and the Croft House dinner table. Free speech debates always welcome. Instead of just listening to my advert like you do every other week, connect with me at linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt or at North House Croft on Instagram. You can also message me there. And why not check out Thor's Hippie Hut coaching podcast or my recent guest appearance with Nick Dixon on his excellent The Current Thing podcast, 19th of May, 2023. Cheers, Thor. Thanks, Thor. And just so everyone goes to that, it's at North, as you'd expect, House, as you'd expect, Croft, pretty much as you'd expect as well, C-O-C-R-O-F-T on Instagram. And of course, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Thor Holt and Thor, as you'd expect, is T-H-O-R-H-O-L-T. I say as you'd expect, because you probably know him by now. Thanks, Thor. We'll only have to edit most of how I read that advert. <laughs> I think it was a decent <laughs> stab. All right. Well, now let's go to everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, I don't know if you have any good Peak Wokes this week. I've only really got one. Do you want to go first while I check it? Yeah, I saw that um, uh, the what the I think it's called the Magistrates Association have issued some guidance to Britain's magistrates, um, counselling them against using the terms policeman and chairman uh, because they are divisive terms, apparently. They're gendered terms. And um, they're recommending, I think, um, uh, police officer and chair. Um, and um, I guess this was, you know, um, it's... it's what, what do, when, when the people who write these guidance documents kind of... Um, suggest we change our language to use less gendered terms do you think they're thinking i'm i'm striking a blow against the patriarchy if we can change the way people speak then uh, the patriarchy will collapse i mean it's it's a kind of such a kind of pathetic kind of um paltry form of political activism um and it i thought the only good thing i i had to say about barbie um is that and, and I may have been reading too much into it, but I thought that in the opening scene when Barbie and her girl pals are kind of partying in this kind of girl-topia called Barbie Land, um, you know, everything is very woke in in Barbie Land. So there's kind of you know, wheelchair Barbie, there's Supreme Court Justice Barbie, there's President Barbie, you know, all the most powerful positions in society are held by Barbies. No one is discriminated against. They all get along really well. They all love the same music. They all dance the same way. It's a kind of feminist utopia. Um, and, um, and, and 
but it bears no relationship to the real world. When they then, when Barbie then goes to the real world, she discovers it's this kind of awful patriarchy. Every member of the Mattel board is a middle-aged white man, etc. Um, and, and I thought maybe other other filmmakers trying to say that you know you can you can you can police language all you like. You can put as many characters in wheelchairs. You can have as many characters of color in you know these um schlocky movies and tv shows you can police your workplace to make sure it's super woke but actually it's having very little impact on how the real world works you're wasting your time it's misplaced activism that was my kind of the most generous charitable thing i could find to say about the barbie movie and i would probably am reading too much into it but it did i was slightly reminded of that when i saw this kind of the magistrates association banning the words policeman and chairman as if that's going to make any difference to anyone it's just pathetic yeah well i still haven't seen barbie because i think it would be too weird for a, a, a man of my age just to go alone to barbie at the cinema but so it's pretty i can't comment on that but in general yeah it, it, their thinking comes down from left-wing thinking that believes language has primacy apparently and, and that these things actually do make a difference i don't know yeah they, they have this bizarre faith in language don't they um but you're right it's absolute nonsense my peak woke comes from the Lincoln's Inn Society, which is a society of barristers who have gone against Jesus. So they say here in the Telegraph, the society will no longer use the traditional Christian blessing. Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless us and these, and these thy gifts, which we receive from thy bountiful goodness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. They've changed that instead to in this moment of silence, let us give thanks for all that we are about to receive and for the company of this honorable society. So they've taken out the Lord and they've taken out Jesus. And historically, betraying Jesus has not gone that well, if you remember how that story went with Judas. So, but the Lincoln's in are trying their luck, betraying Jesus by getting rid of him. And Toby, the second one did remind me slightly of the grace we used to say at school. We used to say, for what we were about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. But that was the key thing. We had the Lord in there. They've used the language of what we were about to receive, but they've taken out the Lord. And it just reminded me as well, not only is it a disgusting thing to do for a society that was founded in a Christian, I need to check the details, but it was founded as like a Christian chapel anyway. Uh, it, it's, it's a Christian organization in origin. So it's disgusting in that way. And it also reminds me of how far we've come yet again as a country. When we used to say every day at school, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. We had to say that in primary school. I say had to, we're happy to say it. We used to say it before every meal. Can you imagine that now? saying that in school before every meal. Perhaps it still happens in Christian schools, but imagine that happening in a state normal school. I don't think it happens in Christian schools either. Really? Um, no. That's pathetic. Um, my children went to a C of E um, primary school, and I don't recall them ever having to say that before meals. But do you um, think it was like a proper Christian, like private school, like, like a C of E normal school? Was, it, was that like a fairly normal school? or if it, Are there some like proper full-on Christian schools where it would still happen? Well, you know, it, it was a it was a C of E. Well, it was it was um, a school within a C of E multi academy trust, where um, the girl got into trouble for refusing to respect the identity of her classmate who identified as a cat. Remember? Wow. So I think the Christian ethos in right. most Christian schools doesn't run very deep these days. Right, yeah, because the C of E is so well. Yeah, of course, my school was a C of E school as well, but that used to mean something in the day. It used to mean you said grace before every meal. Imagine. So even the Lincoln's in are getting rid of it. 
pretty pathetic and evil and disgusting. Any thoughts or any other Pete Wokes, Toby? Yeah, I've got, I don't know if you saw this one, but um, this one comes from our friends, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Now, I don't usually believe in controlled opposition, uh, you know, um, however incompetent a group of activists kind of um, behave. Is that partly because um, you get called it all the time and you and you know you're well, not? <laughs> partly, perhaps. Um, but I just, I just don't think that's how, I mean, of course, there are some examples of um, opposition groups being infiltrated and controlled by, you know, the police, the security services, but I think it's a rarity. And I think um, for the most part, Hanlon's razor is a better explanation for the incompetence and stupidity of opposition groups rather than that they're controlled by a cabal of their enemies. Um, but PETA, PETA does make me question that <laughs> scepticism because they everything they do is so idiotic and just seems designed to discredit their kind of vegan cause. So the latest um, idiocy by PETA is to insist um, that trading standards officials um, should refer to milk, or, they, or rather they, they should insist that shops and manufacturers refer to milk as, quote, bovine mammary secretions, unquote. And their reason for this is that alternative non-dairy milk products um, the trading standards of trading standards council have just said they can't use the word milk to describe their products. So um, almond and oat milk now have to rebrand as milk, spelt M Y L K, so as to avoid to avoid confusing customers. But I guess Petter's argument is: well, if they're not allowed to use the word milk, then you know you can't privilege one group of milk manufacturers by just allowing them to use the word milk. So henceforth milk from cows should be referred to as bovine mammary secretions. I mean, <laughs> there's a sort of twisted logic there, I suppose. Um, but um, it's, it just makes them seem completely idiotic. It's like, it's like you know, it's like, do they think up these things with a view to how prominently can we get this campaign featured in the Daily Mail to make us look like absolute fools anyway? Mm. Yeah, interesting. I got slightly distracted by... Um... Someone accusing um, Oliver Anthony of uh, an anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory. So they're already going to go after this guy. A little update: they'll they'll be going after Oliver Anthony, and by the end of this what's, podcast, what's the, what's the logic there? What the rich men north of Richmond are Jews? That's who he's referring no, to. No, it's right just here. his playlist is public, and one of them is just a video about revealing who's behind nine eleven. So he might have just saved, he might have just saved a video about. Oh, that's interesting, you know. So I don't know. So I need to see that, but it'll just be, I'm just, I, I need to, it's a bad thing to just announce at the end of the podcast, which would be funny if like we've done a whole podcast and how this guy is great. And by the end, by the time we release this, he's already been cancelled. It would, it would be exactly the kind of thing that would happen. Um, but uh, he's just, uh, he's done a funny reply to it that I don't totally understand yet, but people seem to be getting it. Anyway, that's Peak Woke. Uh, let's go across to our other section, the ever controversial, but loved by many, Review the Reviews. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do this section anymore just because it's quite divisive, Toby. It, some people love it, and I'd say the majority love it and have written to me or written reviews about how they love it or tweeted me, but some really don't. <laughs> Particularly some people didn't like the swearing, which I knew would happen, but I was just getting in character there, guys. And I Also, I was I say character. I mean, I, my, I was tapping into my youth and who I really am and <laughs> because, you know, that's how we took, spoke in the North. But um, sometimes I get angry. I just go all the way back up North in my mind. But um, 
But I'm not sure I'll do it anymore, but let's do it one more time anyway, because it's pretty interesting. Here's a good one. Super listen. Listening to Nick and Toby's chirpy voices discussing the woes of our increasingly deranged society helps to reassure me that I'm not the only sane person in a world of brainwashed zombies. Thank you. That's from Trepniak. Thank you, Trepniak. Someone here just says, great, five stars. Their name is sort of just a load of keys smashed together, but that is a, a very nice review. Perfect. Someone else says, this podcast is the best I have ever heard. How about that, Toby? <laughs> Recently, I played it to my girlfriend and 16-year-old son in the car, previously both only borderline skeptics in my view. The following week, I spotted a copy of The Spectator in my son's bedroom and have constant references from him now about Toby being a total legend. We also have daily household debate about what constitutes free speech, why it needs protecting, and I see real awakening in our family to the vice-like grip of wokery on our society. Thank you for helping us stay skeptical. That comes from Friend of Skeptic. Now, it's a little bit Team Toby. Doesn't doesn't mention Nick. That's my only critique. But it is a great review because it says it's the best podcast I've ever heard. And you're brainwashing and radicalizing the youth, Toby. Yeah, well, that, that that's definitely a good one. And at first, when he said best podcast I've ever heard, I thought, oh, this is a kind of parody review in which the person is sort of taking the mickey out of you by being over-refusive um, for fear that you'll start ranting if they're not enthusiastic enough or if they qualify their enthusiasm in any way. But it turns out it isn't one of those. He actually means it because had it been one of those, he would have gone on to praise you, but actually he goes on to praise me. So I think it's totally legit. So yeah, fantastic. Totally legit. The thing you're looking for, Toby, is in this next review, which is titled <laughs> Generally Great, which I thought was very, very funny because I was famously complaining last week about a review that started Generally Great and then had criticism and I went off on one and called the guy <laughs> some horrible things. But um, this says Generally Great, five stars, so very funny. Discover this good-natured and enjoyable show when London Calling became too dyspeptic for me. Sorry, I didn't, I'd forgotten this. that was in the review. Well, <laughs> one problem solved. It's over. Conversation is amusing and the disagreement's fruitful and thoughtful. The only problem is that Nick isn't really the correct name for the host. He sounds more of a Nicholas. He might even consider being an N-I-K Nick to make this show more modern and up-to-date. And um, I might change to Nicholas. Thank you for that suggestion. And that comes from the Rosen... Cavalier, which I hope isn't some sort of weird Nazi thing or something. You know, you see these long, weird <laughs> words. Um, generally great. So that's good, isn't it? And that was a, a, mock, a, a piss take of, of, of the last of last week, but also a generally nice review. Um, reviewing the reviewers, someone is uh, quoting Matthew here, which is very good. Five stars. Thank you very much for that. A pod for top Gs. This podcast is mint, apart from Nick Dixon's thoughts about his top G. I'm going to let that slide. Nick Dixon is hilarious. Although he started talking about himself in the third person during the review section last week. A bit worrying. Get well soon, Nick. Toby Young, an absolute powerhouse as usual. That comes from Skeptical Teacher. That's pretty great about both of us. We love yeah. this podcast. We love Nick and Toby's take on the world. We tune in every week. Keep up the excellent work. Jay Bristol. So this is the one now. Now we've had some good ones. Let's get to the one that annoyed me. This says... You're not going to start swearing again, are you? I'm not going to start swearing, <laughs> but I am going to just say... This comes from... They said, decided to unsubscribe. Two stars. As a previously loyal listener and DS donor, Daily Skeptic, I've become increasingly frustrated by recent podcasts, especially the amount of time dedicated to Andrew Tate. The last straw was this week's episode in which Nick lambasted a couple of listeners who dared to provide feedback and less than five-star reviews and urged these C-words to right off, which loads of people have praised me for, by the way, which we can get to. For a platform that supposedly promotes slash supports free speech and challenge to authority, this seems a pretty hypocritical and odd thing to do. It is clear that Toby is embarrassed by these outbur outbursts of irrationality. 
and abuse. And I doubt that I will be the only listener who decides to unsubscribe as a result of this behavior, as a result to this behavior they put, which is uh, incoherent. So, Toby, this annoyed me for many reasons. I mean, one, this idea of siding with you. Well, are you embarrassed? We can ask you. I mean, no, I, no not embarrassed. I think it's quite funny. There you go. So this thing that they do where they try and pretend to side. Toby doesn't have to work with me. He wouldn't continue to work with me, would he, if he was so embarrassed? And he could just say it. He's obviously not embarrassed. He understands comedy. So, and uh, what bothered me about this? A few things. I mean, this idea that it's a problem with free speech. Why, what about my free speech to lambast the reviewers? I haven't <laughs> taken down their reviews. They're, I read the reviews. I have my own opinion on the reviews. That is free speech. But my real problem with this, this person's called Fed Up from Harrogate. And they say that they're becoming fed up. So, and you know, it's the last straw. Well, let me just let me just break that down. You donated once or twice at a Daily Skeptic. Fine. I know it won't have been that much because people who donate a lot don't write things like this. They don't have the time and they don't have the negative mindset to give a two-star review. Here's my problem with it, Toby. Imagine there's a, a cafe and you donate a little bit of money to it a few times. And that's all oh, that's very nice. You, you give them some money to the cafe. Then a while later, a restaurant springs up, okay? And this restaurant sends food to your house. It's high quality food, nutritious as well, tasty, and it's free. And they keep sending it to your house. You don't have to do anything. You eat this free food and you realize, oh, it's a cafe I donated to ages ago, a little bit of money. It's now giving me free meals. This is amazing. Then, then it happens next week. Oh, look, another free meal, several course meal. The next week, the next week, the next week. And you're just eating this free food from this company. How amazing. Then one week they send a dish you don't particularly like. And you go, okay, that's fine. I'll just eat the other dishes. Then it happens again. You go, okay, I don't really like this dish. But you keep getting the free food from the restaurant that's <laughs> delivering you amazing food for free. And then what you do, because you keep getting this one meal in there that you don't particularly like as much as the rest of it, you then go to the building where you know the food comes from and you, you smash the windows you, and you write in your own feces, don't shop here. And then you, you write a horrible review on the internet and you leave. I mean, the analogy broke down there by the literal truth. But you leave and that's like, and then you say you're fed up. It's like, You've given us a two-star review, despite admitting that you you love the podcast for weeks. I mean, what are we supposed to do? I mean, is that a sensible, is that a reasonable thing to do, Toby, to listen to the free podcast and enjoy it? Then when the second it doesn't go your way, two stars, I'm out. It's like I'm leaving, and on the way out, I'm smashing everything and trying to stop other people coming in. Isn't that incredibly sick? Well, I think may, maybe the issue is, to use your analogy, once you've signed up, for the free meals from the restaurant, you know, the restaurant on the premises that the cafe you donated money to used to be, um, you don't have a choice about what you consume. Like um, you can't kind of opt not to consume the review of the reviews in which you start ranting, which clearly upset this person because, you know, it's just all part of the package. So it's almost as though, you know, along with the food he likes, he was force fed this food he didn't particularly like. So it's perfectly rational, therefore, to stop asking for the free food altogether. If you're going to, as part of the price you have to pay for eating the food you really like, you are force-fed stuff you really don't like. But is it? Is it? Does, is, does that warrant a two-star review to try and Maybe damage the business strong, for others? I'm not sure a two-star review is the equivalent of writing with your own species on the outside. And the review the is at the very That'll end. Get here. The review, the review <laughs> section is at the end. You can just stop before that. You could skip the tape bit. I suppose that's true. Well, do you yeah. know what? The same person has reviewed London Calling, Toby, and given it one star. Oh, no. Saying, had to give it up. Used to be a decent show, but the last few episodes have been intolerable. And they goes on and on. But actually, it still likes you. But it's funny, so they've given up on both. So, I mean, what can you do? You can't, pre- pre- you just can't please everyone. 
most people, by the way, have loved the review review section. I've had so many tweets about it, and it comes up in some of these other reviews, which is getting a bit meta because now I'm reviewing the reviews that are reviewing the reviewing the reviews section, which is maybe a little too inception. I don't know, but let's. I'll give you one example. Another most excellent episode, and this comes from Man- Manic Guitarist. Insightful, funny, and generally all-around awesome. Toby isn't too bad either. See what they did there? <laughs> Minus point for Toby reading a book purely to refute Nick James. Surely better to engage that than try and prove them wrong. Another wonderful rant from Nick at the end. Carry on, chaps. Now, I only read that one to say some people like the thing at the end. And by my sort of loose assessment most people have liked the review the review section what do you think toby should i end the review the review section just because it's no too i think divisive? it's I, I think it's a good section um i think maybe try not to become too dyspeptic and intemperate when reading an otherwise positive review but has a few caveats uh, but i think i guess that's you know part of what makes it entertaining is how triggered you are by the very the very minor critical points yeah, well, I, annoyingly they're on Twitter, so I haven't got all the positives. But people kept saying they couldn't, they were, they were, you know, snorting, laughing at my review, the review section. So, so some, some people really love it. I'll read one more review. Weekly highlight: my favorite podcast. Traditional values clearly held dear, and it feels like such relief to hear them articulated, especially by Nick, my soulmate. I think chin up. That's from Eliza UK. So Toby, there were nice. some gushing ones about you and me. So I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I can be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Amazing reviews. Thank you, everyone. And let me know if I should review the reviews. I did it without swearing this week, but does that take something out of it? I don't know. You know, it was that, do I lose my authentic voice? Who knows? But we try our best. We give you this content. Many of you still complain, but many of you love it. And uh, I don't know. We love you all. Something like that. Yeah. And a, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Um, Will Jones is away this week. Um, I'm working on the Daily Skeptic with the associate editor, Richard Eldred. Um uh, and uh, but it means there's no no will this week on the weekly skeptic um and um i also just wanted to brag i think you pointed it out will i mean uh, nick um which is that um we reached the top 10 in the apple british politics podcast charts uh, like one to nine were you know goal hanger productions of one kind or another either leading or the rest is politics seemingly one to nine not maybe not quite one to nine but they definitely dominated the top 10 but the only non-woke podcast as far as i could work out in the top 10 was the weekly skeptic so that's quite an achievement that was absolutely absolutely huge and as i say we've done it pretty quickly and uh, we built very fast and it's been amazing we thank you all the listeners for your support to get there and you're right it was all stuff like the rest is politics leading which are dark Lineker money I suppose Lineker money is not dark because we know it's him but it's Lineker combined with presumably I mean I'm not making any legal claims but they're all the new statesmen they're all these kind of things woke or left and we're the first one in there that's actually keeping it real and we smashed all kinds of people we beat Navarra Media and there's a whole list of people we beat Spites and all these kind of people so yes we got to number 10 and that is amazing and uh, so hopefully we carry on growing. We currently have the worst um, sort of revenue to audience ratio ever because we've, we've been so dedicated to just making the podcast great. We haven't even thought about that, but hopefully we can grow. And one day there'll be paid content and stuff like that and there'll be extra things you can get and all that kind of stuff. We'll do that soon. Um, one day quite soon, I think. Yeah. yeah. And but in lieu of that, for now, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon if you want to contribute to me. You can go to the Daily Skeptic and donate if you want to contribute to Daily Skeptic. And, of course, you can go to The Current Thing, my other podcast, which I urge you to do, especially the recent episode with Eric Corfin that was very, very interesting, but they're all great. And, Toby, anything else to plug? Yeah, one more thing, which is um, we've been offered um, a central location in the West End 
for free where we could do our podcast live. It would be between um, sort of 5.30 and 7 or 6 and 7.30 at this location. Um, and Nick and I were wondering whether there'd be you know, enough people wanting to see it to make it worthwhile. Um, I think to kind of make it worth our while, we'd need to sell about 110 tickets per show. Uh, they'd probably be 25 pounds each. And we'd probably, you know, um, have kind of other things you could you could come to like um, after show drinks, after show dinners, etc. Um, but just let us know in the comments, probably is the easiest way to communicate with us in the comments. Let us know whether you'd like to come to a live show. I think the, the idea would be to do it once a month, certainly in the run up to Christmas. And so one show in September, one in October, November and December. Um, let us know if you think if you think, you know, you might be interested in buying a ticket for that. So we're trying to work out whether to do it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And if it is a smaller venue like that, and, it, and it's quite regular, that would be quite interesting. It could be like a fun kind of experimental well it would be it would be, be the podcast live wouldn't it but it would have a more sort of fun underground vibe i don't know it's a bit different from doing a bigger event where you it's a sort of a different vibe isn't it if we did it more frequently but let fewer people it's just got a kind of cool fun could be fun yeah could be fun yeah all right so let us know about that but until next week as usual stay skeptical stay skeptical mm-hmm.